Hi, welcome to The School Run. I'm Jane. And I'm Liv. And we are going to share with you the best conversations we have on our school run. We will invite guests and debate topics that affect and resonate with every generation. We all remember our own school run. So maybe have a think about yours. What do you remember? Every day is a school day, isn't it, for all of us? And you don't have to have it all figured out at school. In fact, very few of us do. This School Run podcast came about, if you haven't listened before, because myself and my daughter, Liv, was 15, and she went to school an hour and a half away from where we lived, so we had the best School Run chats. And it's a really precious time that you spend with your young person on the school run. We've all also had our own school runs, probably, or taken a child on a school run. And so we decided to put our chats onto a podcast and then invite guests along with us to share their wisdom and their experience of their school run, but also what they thought they were going to be and where they are actually now in life. Because for young people, it doesn't all have to be about what's going to happen after GCSEs and making a big lifelong decision. And we're really keen to share the whole range of careers available outside in the world and showcase and empower young people with some of these amazing guests that we have with us. Liv, how are you feeling about this week's guest? I'm very excited. I feel like the topic we're going to talk about, I feel like it's thrown around a lot nowadays and I'm interested to like, <clears throat> I'm always interested about this topic and people's kind of like opinion on it. So I'm very excited to learn something new. You will learn lots. This lady who joins us today has had a huge impact on my life, but also on my professional life and within my company, Little Voices. For those that don't know, I run a national award-winning company that trains children in drama and singing um, every single week through a franchise network. We're a very, very committed, passionate bunch of human beings. But mental health is in our DNA. It always has been. It isn't just something that we've implemented in the last few years as it's become a, a bigger topic and a more popular topic, as Liv has, has alluded to. It's always been part of what we do. We, we, we sing, we move, we talk, we talk about our feelings and emotions. And our lessons contain the five a day for mental health. And this lady has helped me to implement um, an initiative throughout Little Voices from the top to the bottom for all the individuals and adults, teachers, parents, extended carers to our organisation to ensure that we're absolutely putting mental health at the centre of everything that we do for ourselves as much as the people that we teach. Her name is Jen Chapman Boffin. Um, we first came into contact with each other on LinkedIn. Um, I noticed that she was a huge advocate for mental health, running Cinder Limited. She was also um, a marketeer by background and used to have connections and, and work with the BFA. So all of those things just came together and I was like, this is the lady I need to work with. So we're really thrilled to have her on our podcast. Jen, thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me. I'm just saying, Liv, it feels like I'm meeting someone famous. I'm happy to actually get to chat to you now. <laughs> It's really crazy for you, isn't it? Because you it don't realise that people are getting to know you every week on the <laughs> podcast. I mean, we've done, this is our 44th guest, Jen. Like, wow. it's insane that a little idea that we came up with to just put our time capsule of conversations on a podcast has grown like it's grown. And for you to be getting to know my daughter in this audio <laughs> way is just, it's crazy. She doesn't, everyone says to me when I go to events, oh, Liv, she's this and that and the other. I'm like, Oh yeah, I forget that you're actually not just listening to guests, but you're learning about us too. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And like all of the stuff that you come out with, Liv, like I don't mean this in a patronising way, but like considering you're so like young, really, all of the like the wisdom and insights you come out with is honestly amazing. And when I went to the eWeb event and you weren't there, Jane had said you were going to be there. I was so excited to meet you and you weren't. I was gutted. <laughs> she was playing netball and as you can see she's dressed our listeners can't see this but she's in a netball stuff now yeah. about to go and be first team captain for the netball team as she she juggles the balls at a young age Jen You're, yeah. I, I didn't mention in in the opening that you are also a recent new mum um to your beautiful daughter we were all so excited to hear your news last year when you were expecting um you've also got your own podcast as well so I hope we're going to cover all of this 
topic within um, within our chat. But I mean, you are hu- a huge advocate for mental health and helping with mental health awareness in, in organisations. Where does that passion and that root come from? Why is it so important to you? Um, I think there's a few things, really. So both my parents worked in mental health. So from as as long as I can remember, depression and anxiety and even suicide were almost normal dinner conversations, which I know for a lot of people might sound odd when I'm little, but we always used to sit around the table and have dinner and mum and dad would talk about their day, talk about their work. And because that's what they did, that was part of normal conversation so that's never kind of been a taboo or unusual topic for me um I rebelled and went off and did marketing so I didn't stick in mental health um but obviously I've come back (laughs) come back to it um so I think that's probably where it first came from you know the fact that it's just something that's always been part of my world um but I also have OCD So um, I know that your workplace can make you feel so much better or so much worse. And you're at work all the time, aren't you, really? Um, It takes up so much of your life that I just feel like life is too short. And with dad, like I have this whole new appreciation of life and his diagnosis that actually life is too, it sounds cheesy, but too precious and too special to not enjoy such a huge part of it yeah 100% and you've you've really educated me I mean I've obviously got my own mental health journey and story as we all have we all have mental health 100% of us but before what happened to me I was completely unlike you it was not part of my household growing up no one I knew it wasn't discussed it wasn't not that it was taboo or anything it's just that nobody I knew suffered it wasn't I hadn't suffered there was nothing like I was completely cocooned and unaware um and just completely ignorant and how can that be when it's such a huge topic and we've all got mental health but Olivia did a speech at school didn't you yes I did (laughs) (laughs) and she talked about how people band around the word mental health but it is actually you interchangeably used with describing a mental illness and actually yeah. they're two very very different things and we need to be careful about the language we're actually using do you remember that speech of course I remember that speech as a speak in front of 400 people it was the most terrifying day ever <laughs> but yeah I I not mm, not like I feel mental health it's come it, you hear it everywhere now like and at school and at college you, you hear it everywhere all the time. Not like it's a trend, that's not what I'm saying, but it has become more and more, probably the more research done into it and everything, it's just come up more and more people are talking about, which I think is amazing. But, but also on the flip side, I think especially young people at high school and primary school who are listening to it, like children listen to to everything they take every they take every piece of information in and I think people misuse the words between mental health and mental illness and then those words just get thrown around and then for maybe some people who are genuinely suffering with real mental illnesses they tend to be just like brushed to the side because everyone's like oh yeah but everyone's saying they've got anxiety everyone's saying everyone's saying that oh, yeah. and they people who genuinely suffer then just kind of being brushed away if that makes sense that's from my personal experience at high school and at college as well so it's almost a default isn't it I suppose yeah almost a default yeah so I wonder what Jen thinks about that yeah I think it's a really good point like I think there's one of the things that I try and do in my courses as much as possible is really get across the difference like you said between what is actually mental ill health and what is a normal response because I think that's so important you know we've been brought up and we tell each other and tell our kids to be positive and to be happy and that's great but you shouldn't be happy all the time 
And that might sound odd as someone who is like an advocate for mental health, but actually if something bad or sad has happened, the best thing for you to be and the best way for you to react is to be sad or to be angry. You know, that's that's a healthy response. I think like if someone, if you've lost someone or something bad has happened, whether it's at work or school or with friends or relationship, if your immediate response is, oh, well, it's okay. Like these are all the positives. Like that is good. And that is resilience to find those, that light. But also it's so healthy to just sit with it, sit with that feeling that's uncomfortable. And so I think that's, for me, actually, that's a, that's a key thing. It's just real strong mental health is recognizing those uncomfortable emotions and sitting with them, just letting them ride out. Yeah, and like accepting it and noticing it and like accepting that, that that's what I'm just going into the olive jar. I know, I'm Jen, not. I don't know if you have heard us talk about the olive jar on, on previous podcasts or on me on lives on Instagram, but I did a course back in March this year um, called the olive jar. I've wanted to do it for about eight or nine years. Um, it was a six-week course and it, it was it was brought back into my the forefront of my um, memory to do it at the beginning of the year and I've done it and then I've, I'm we're just on week five Liv's doing it and I'm doing it with her again for the second time this year I mean you might think that's crazy doing it twice I would go back again and again and again it is the most profound yeah. six-week course ever it's it's encompassing all sorts it's not just but it is about accepting what is and looking what's available to move forward and and that yeah. and a part of that is you know sitting with with grief or sitting with upset or sitting with anger or but then what's available in this situation for me to move forward and it's just it's just really practical ways of sort of pulling together all the stuff that I've ever learned about positivity the law of attraction the universe Eckhart Tolle the power of now being present it's all of those theories and all those positive statements that you read everywhere just condensed into six weeks to give you six practical things to live every day with because I just I just think it's just similar to what Jen's saying like uh, accept accepting what is like to to like suppress emotions I feel like is the most unnatural human thing like as humans we're like communicators and we have emotion so to suppress it seems is is unnatural because naturally you know we communicate and I, I agree and I feel like it just it was just bringing that and the olive jar course together and yeah I, don't, I had a point and I forgot <laughs> what the point was. it's all right it's got to come out somewhere hasn't it like yeah. it's a natural thing if something bad has happened or sad or you know that makes you angry that naturally creates something within you whether it's feelings, whether it's like an actual physical reaction with your hormones, there is a response. And so actually to just bury that or to ignore it, it's going to come out somewhere, whether that's in your physical health, whether that's in like poor decision making, whether that's your mental health weeks or months or years down the line, it's going to come out. So actually, if you can, if you can learn to become aware of what it is, sit with it and then move forward, like I'm not talking about wallowing, but sometimes if something bad has happened, maybe you need a couple of days to just sit and cry and that's all right. And then, yeah. like you said, right, where can we go with it now? Because I feel like the the important question is, why do people feel like they have to suppress it? Because if you think about now, men, people talk about mental health everywhere. It's, it's on the news, it's on social media, it's everywhere. People are sharing the stories everywhere and yet still people feel like they have to suppress it, which doesn't make... It doesn't make sense in my head because you'd think with all these advocates for, you know, and sharing the stories and, and you know, coming out and, and everything, and yet still people feel like they have to... It's still like there's some sort of stigma about it and that's why people feel like they have to suppress it. But, but my opinion, this is my personal opinion, is that... <laughs> It, it's talked about, it when I was at high school, it was talked about all the time. And what I felt, I felt that if I did talk about it, someone would be like, like they were sick of hearing it, like, because they hear it everywhere. 
and I didn't I didn't want to bring someone else down I didn't want to you know make them upset I didn't want to worry them you know I, I want everyone to be happy and because it was talked about so much I felt I don't want to be like one of those people that adding, keeps talking about voice. it yeah like and that's yeah. why I was very very quiet and and I feel like maybe in school maybe that's everyone's encouraged to talk about it and I think that's really good but and I bet there would, would be some people like me who they don't want people to just think that they're like making up because everyone's talking about and it. jumping on a bandwagon. Yeah. I think that's like what you said at the start is that it's knowing the difference between a bad mood and ill mental health. Yeah. I think that's the thing. I think we interchangeably talk about mental health and mental ill health as the same thing and they're not. Like it's good that we're talking about it, but I think it is it's recognizing the difference between the two. I think one hundred percent. What and is the very, difference you, between the two? What is the difference between the two? Yeah, that's my question. <laughs> so I would say mental ill health. So to be diagnosed with a mental health condition, it can only be done by a professional, and you do have to meet certain criteria. So there's this massive book, like an actual book, where it's updated constantly but you have to actually meet criteria to be diagnosed with a mental health condition and so say for depression for example it may well be that something bad happens and you feel a bit rubbish for a while like you know fine that's a normal response again that's healthy like actually I think it's a good thing to be sad um but for it to be depression you have to meet certain criteria like you have to have this ongoing low mood for at least two weeks you have to have um, consistent lack of enjoyment in activities that you'd normally enjoy so it's things like that so it's kind of taken it one step further than being in a bad mood or feeling sad and actually what other how else is it impacting your life yeah I I do have a, an opinion on that just because I what I when I had my eating disorder right there obviously is a criteria for for having mm. one which I kind the criteria of, for being given a label I think is what you mean yes yeah. and I have a love-hate yeah. relationship with it because maybe it's an eating disorder that's a I don't know a condition which a lot of people think is physically what you look like and it's not because it's obviously yeah. a mental health condition but I remember when I went to the the specialist and and I was sat there he never gave me the kind of the label of the eating disorder that I had because I wasn't a certain weight and because I didn't meet that mm. technically I wasn't given that label which from which when you're in that position, for me, then I was like, well, obviously, I need to like, get my weight down more. So then like, I feel validated, because at the moment, I'm not being validated that I'm ill, I'm not being validated anything. I'm just, you know, technically fine when I'm not. So yeah, I feel like that's where my love-hate relationship comes in with the criteria of a mental illness whether it's just eating disorders that I feel it needs to change because a lot of people look at you physically and say that you're fine when actually you're not. And yeah. Yeah. And that's almost like them saying that you, you didn't weigh little enough is almost a way of saying you're still not enough, which is horrible when you're already in that like low position. And I think you're completely right. Eating disorders, I think is a particular one where, the criteria absolutely needs to be looked at because until you get that label that diagnosis you don't get access to all the support yeah. that you need do you and then actually we know which is crazy because we know that with mental health the earlier intervention the better hi everyone we hope you're enjoying this episode so far we're just cutting in to say if you're enjoying our podcast please click the follow button on whichever platform you're listening on and please leave us a review we'd be so grateful for your support and feedback podcasts are free to listen to but if you are loving our school run chats and debates please consider buying us a virtual coffee 
The link will be in the description of every podcast episode and it will also be in the bio of our Instagram, which is at the school run underscore official. And why not give it a follow while you're there so you can see all the updates and get sneak peeks at upcoming episodes. Thank you so much and happy listening. I also, I mean, you will do this as well, Jen. I'm sure you listen to loads of podcasts on mental health, brain health. or You know, there's a guy out there called Dr. Daniel Armen, and I've listened to so much of his stuff. I adore him. Um, and he said it's really odd yeah. that today we are still um, classing and giving diagnoses based on clusters of symptoms rather than scanning the organ that is directly related to the the condition so if you broke your leg they'd send you for a, a, an x-ray and then maybe if it was ligaments whatever they'd do an mri scan and then you would get the diagnosis based on what they've seen whereas with mental health we've got a system like you say this huge book dsm stroke five is that what it's is that the the yeah and um you know and it's just systems of symptom clusters that they then look like to fit you into a category and actually the work that Daniel Dr. Dr. Daniel Armand is doing he has scanned 270,000 brains in the US and he is actually looking at the neurons and the at the patterns and the shape and the brain and he is then able to diagnose depression anxiety bipolar schizophrenia based on the medical. And I, I find this fascinating. Yeah. And I really think as the explosion of mental health continues, yeah. I hope we get to that stage where it's not about symptom clusters yeah. or subjective yeah. opinion of symptoms clusters. I think the difficulty is that actually the world of mental health is in comparison to physical health is actually still quite young. And so yes. a lot of the stuff is based on very new theories a lot of it is just theories it's not you know it is just symptom clustering and it's based on that it's not necessarily stuff we know it's kind of almost educated guess and based on what it's like for other people um and so I think actually that's that is a difficulty with it and I think the rate one I think one of the main problems at the moment and partly why what happened with you and the eating disorder live probably happened is because of the lack of resource for NHS at the moment. So they make that right criteria so strict because if it was any less strict, they just can't, they can't do it. They haven't got the resources because the rate that the awareness of mental health is rocketing isn't increasing at the same level and speed for the NHS resources. So you've got this massive gap of people who actually are aware now because of this conversation that how they're feeling or thinking isn't quite right they could you know feel and think better but actually the the resource isn't there because you have to meet this insanely strict criteria in some cases and so we've got this massive gap of people who know they need support but can't access it you know like CAMS the children's mental health support emergency um, waiting list is still two years and you think of you think of the rate of child development the amount that happens from when you're, I don't know, eight to 10 or 12 to 14, it's massive. It's huge. And if you're having to wait as an emergency referral for two years, it's just wrong. And so I think, although what I'm doing with the mental health first aid, we're not there to diagnose or treat, actually, hopefully, it's helping to fill that gap in between until people can get professional support, or it tries to build upon those skills and that like, I'm really all for building your own toolkit of stuff that helps you because what helps me will be different to you, Liv, and you, Jane. So actually, if you can become more self-aware of either what triggers you to feel bad or actually what can make you feel better and you can build that own personal toolkit around you, hopefully you'll have some of those skills so that actually if you do need to wait until you get professional help, it's not as bad because you've got that toolkit or maybe you could even stop yourself from needing it to some degree I, 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 I just sorry I just think like I feel like it's like anything you have to look at the root that like you have to, I feel like you have to start at the root and I feel like it's the same with anything like for example if you've got diabetes obviously you there's there's ways obviously you can't always present prevent it if it's genetic but there are ways that you can really reduce reduce the possibility of it. Mm-hmm. And 
I think in in high school, because obviously that's kind of where I keep drawing back to because that's where my experience is. Mm. But it's great that people talk about and are going to talk about it. But I think they need to start at the bottom and they need to start and look at how it's great that you can talk about it when it's happening, but you need to start lower and you need to look at what you can do so when you get yourself in a situation where you feel this way or however, you know how to to deal with it. And that's what, Jen, I'm so glad she's brought it up, this mental health toolkit. If everybody builds their toolkit, everybody's well equipped with the knowledge for them to keep them well. And I, and I feel like you also have to be open-minded to it because I think as humans, we don't like uncertainty. We like we like to know yeah. like what's going on, and like you said, the with or because mental health is new compared to physical health, there is a, it's a lot of theories, and there's a lot of like labels that are thrown around, and I think people like that because it like you said the clusters of symptoms it puts people in a box and and they know where they are and they have that label and like the certain about it and they know it and therefore to think that they could come out of that I think scares people because they don't like the uncertainty is well if I'm not like if I don't have depression then what am I because that's the box that I fit into so and I feel like that scares people because I had that with my own personal experience I labeled myself I have an eating disorder so coming out of that felt way scarier than than staying there so I thought if I'm not if I'm not that then what am I and that was scary so I feel like the 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 labels I feel again I have a love-hate relationship with but I feel like if you can start at the bottom and build the toolkit if you can build it then people don't label themselves they just label themselves a as a well-rounded person and you know sometimes your emotions are great sometimes they're not and that's just and that's normal I think that's the thing it's looking at what it is in the present tense so yes you might have that diagnosis now but that's just something that you've got now that's not who you are it's something that you've got now and I think one of the most important things you can do with any kind of mental health when you're supporting anyone is give hope for the fact that actually that's not necessarily who you are all the time like yes that's what you've got now but mental health as we've said fluctuates so much like you can move around that throughout the week month years and actually you take that with you because I used to hate the fact that I was an anxious person I used to hate it and I used to do whatever I possibly could to not be like that which ironically made me more anxious because I was anxious about being an anxious person um (laughs) so I tried whatever I could do to not be like that and I am happy to say that I regularly see um a therapist not frequently now it'll maybe be like once a quarter or whatever just as a maintenance thing but she once said to me why do you want to not be anxious I had absolutely no response because I was like well why would you want to be anxious and so I was trying to tell her how awful it was and she was like okay what are some of the good bits of you that comes from your anxiety and I was like what do you mean nothing like anxiety is bad like it it gives me nothing but actually long story short I kind of identified that not trying to blow my own trumpet here but I think I'm quite a thoughtful person and I'm quite empathetic and actually that comes from anxiety and so I've personally learned to live with that because actually it gives me some of my good bits you know like the fact that I overthink things that's never going to go that's just part of me that is who I am and I know you know like I said it you don't have to stick with it and it can go up and down but actually it does give me some of those good qualities and so I think the moment that I learned to accept that I am a naturally anxious person that really changed things for me because actually I learned to see actually some of those good parts are from that and I think you know actually understanding ourselves is what the baseline of this is isn't it and creating that toolbox around who you are like you alluded to your toolbox would be different to Liv's Liv's would be different to mine and I think what Liv became frustrated with at school was that 
actually, if you're feeling this, then go out for a walk. If you're feeling this, listen to music. If you're feeling this, you know, that's yeah. not building your own mental health toolbox. So talk us through no, your approach just, to building a yeah. toolbox with somebody. Because I think that would be really powerful for people listening through. Yes. You know, obviously people will probably get in touch with you. Companies might want you to go and work with them or, or whatever. And I can highly, highly five-star, 10-star recommend it. <laughs> you know, but in our business, in Little Voices, everybody's toolkit is different. And me being able to say yeah. to someone, what's in your toolkit today when you're feeling like that? is far more empowering than me saying go out for a walk and have some fresh air because that might not be for them so talk me through how we build that well I think the one of the crucial bits is is saying there that you know it's not one size fits all so one when companies bring in this uh like mental health platforms I'm not knocking them because I think you know they've definitely got a place but there and they've got good intentions, haven't they? Absolutely. And it's a fantastic place to start. So there's there's no shade to that at all. But it's recognising that one set of things isn't going to suit everyone because every mental health condition has different characteristics and every single person that has that same mental health condition theirs has different characteristics you know my OCD will look very different to someone else's your eating disorder live probably looked very different to someone else's like they look different so I think that's the main thing is is knowing and recognizing that those tools are going to be different but I think really it all starts with that self-awareness um of knowing actually like you said Liv what is the root so what is it that made you feel that way why is it bad? Why do you not like that? Why are you not able to sit with those feelings? Or, you know, why does it make you uncomfortable? Um, and so I think the first part is self-awareness. It's looking actually at your own stress triggers. And then the toolbox is going to be built from that. So as much as that is probably not a very helpful answer, I think because it's such a bespoken personal thing, I couldn't really say this is how you make your toolbox. Because mm-hmm. The first step is self-awareness, but then the other steps of building those tools are going to be entirely dependent on that first block. Yes. Um, yeah. So and, and you and you build it up so beautifully with people to, you know, we've obviously done mental health first aid awareness with you. I've yeah. done the mental health first aider. It's just I mean, everyone that's done the course, I think we're 79% trained now in little voices, which you know my aim is 100%. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got we've got 21% to go and we'll be 100% trained. And this has been a journey. Um, but they've all also met you face-to-face and built their toolboxes last year. And um, you, you take them, so there's the, the awareness piece, there's the training, but then there's actually the, like you say, the self-awareness and then the building the things that, that work for you. I mean, I know for me, it's my cup of tea on my own. It's my going to bed really early. It's, it is a bath. It is reading. There's all sorts of different things that for man, it's not just going out for a walk, but going out walking every day for 10,000 steps is my absolute non-negotiable now. I feel like mine's going to the gym or going running because I know that seems very exercise based, but genuinely, if I don't go to the gym for a few weeks, people can tell that I've not been to the gym for a few weeks. Like, you know, like Liv needs to go to the gym. (laughs) Yeah, but then there's science behind that. And, you know, like it will be, if the more excess stress you have, those physical and mental repercussions is because you've built up excess cortisol and adrenaline in your body. So that excess hormone is whirling around your body with nothing to do. So actually when you're playing netball, when you're going to the gym, you're using it up yeah and the excess cortisol and adrenaline is the things that make your heart rate faster and the things that physically do cause the reactions of stress so actually yeah you doing physical stuff there is there's a there's a physical you know biological reason behind that which I find really interesting but I think you know for mine probably wouldn't be 10,000 steps a day I it probably would help sure but actually I love nothing more than sitting in the little corner bit of my sofa with a blanket with dim lighting and just actually sitting on my bum (laughs) so it is really personal to everyone I think I know for me so for anyone that doesn't know in 2021 my dad who is my best friend he's the best person I know um 
no shade to my husband or daughter. <laughs> She's great too. So is he. But I love my dad. And um, he was diagnosed with a condition called progressive supranuclear palsy. Um, it's a new- neurological condition and um, it's really rare. So there's only about 5,000 people that have been diagnosed with it. Um, and it's progressive. So that means it's going to get worse and there's no treatment or any cure. So it's a terminal condition. And my dad is the looker after. So he's one of eight and he sorts out everybody. That's that's his thing. Always looked after us. Really practical, you know, quite caveman, could build anything, fix anything. Um, in this condition, again, the symptoms are really personal depending on the person, but it takes away your ability to walk your ability to eat your ability to speak your ability to even blink when you want to um it takes away every element that makes you enjoy life really and for him to get this diagnosis I think it took about three years because it is rare and it's one of those that they can only diagnose once you've ruled everything else out and when he got this diagnosis I sat and cried I think for probably about five days And like I say, actually, I think that's fine because that's a normal response. It's the worst news I've ever got in my life. And before now, I probably couldn't have even talked about that without, you know, full on crying. But I really distinctly remember sitting at my dining table, probably on this fifth day, thinking, right, I can't keep doing this. Like I've allowed myself to cry. I've allowed myself to sit down and, you know, whatever, process it. But I've got two choices now either I carry on doing that and weirdly my crying place is sitting next to my bed (laughs) so I'd spent I'd spent my time there but I can't keep doing that because if I do that I'm not going to be able to be there for him and I'm going to be no help to him or my mum so that was this really poignant time in my life I think where I realized genuinely realized that you've always got two two paths I can sit and carry on in that one, which is what I would have done before, because I think in the past I've always probably been a bit of a delicate flower, you know, need looking after, not particularly resilient. And it's from that point that I've realised whatever happens, you've always got a choice. So there's nothing I can do about my dad's condition, which for me, being an absolute control freak, the root of my OCD, is horrible. I hate it. I hate being able to do nothing. You know, I was on the phone within that week of finding out to um, the Mayo Clinic and different hospitals in America to see if I could get him onto um, retail fields and yep, because that was the one thing I could do. So I think for me, the the biggest thing in my toolkit is looking at what I can take control of um, and realizing that there is some stuff that I can't, but some days just opening the curtains and putting on my wax melt, that, although it sounds soft and fluffy to anyone who is skeptical to mental health, the the toolkit there isn't, isn't the bubble bath or the wax melt. It's the action of taking control and doing something to move down that path, not the other one. Yes. Yeah. It's very, very yeah. poignant and your story and your journey. And I know that you always have Fridays. Are you still, even with your little girl now, always Fridays with your dad? Yeah, depending on her baby class, it's it's a Thursday or a Friday. Yeah, they're my non-negotiable day work-wise that that's my dad day. And I guess launching Cinder, I mean, how long has Cinder been in operation now and what led you from the BFA and franchising into mental health and the workplaces? So, like I said, mum and dad have always worked in mental health. When I was leaving sick form, I wanted to be a midwife. So I went and did a placement at a maternity hospital, absolutely loved it, but couldn't bear the thought of doing one job for my whole life. Now that I've had a baby, I realised that actually there's loads of different ways you could take midwifery and things you could do with it. But at the time I thought, I don't know about you, Liv, but when it might have changed now, because I am 30, <laughs> um, I keep thinking I'm like uni age, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> but when I was leaving sick form, I decided I didn't want to go to uni because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I thought there's no point in doing it for the sake of it. So they just kind of wrote me off because they're like, well, you're not going to uni, so you're not part of those stats. Do your, do your A-levels and see you later. Um, so I decided to go to college and do business because I thought, well, everything is a business, like even a hospital is now really a business so it's, it's going to be helpful so I did that loved one of my uh 
professors who did marketing. I remember the first time we met him, we came into that song, Getting to Know You, Getting to Know Me. He was playing it like blaring and throwing chocolates at us as we came in. (laughs) Great icebreaker. Oh, absolutely. So that grabbed me straight away. And whether it was that or not, I don't know. I went into marketing. Um, I worked while I was at uni um, because wanted to have money um and happened to be that that was with a franchise um and as I think people often say once you get into the world of franchising that's it you're not getting out (laughs) um it's a family in itself isn't it it is amazing amazing. I've never known any industry like it um and throughout the pandemic worked with the BFA doing marketing and business operations um because of the pandemic and uh, furlough and all of that kind of stuff, our team, I think, was about halved, but we were doing more than ever mm-hmm. at the time. So um, that was in so busy, but it also meant that we got to speak to loads of members. And what I did find is that the role of a franchisor was changing. So they were having to support not just the business needs, but their franchisees on a personal level so much more than ever before. And that's continued, that hasn't stopped. Mm. Um, But they didn't have the kind of knowledge or awareness. And I don't mean that in a, a, you know, knocking way, because like you said, if you've never entered that world of mental health and stuff, why would you? It's fine to have that gap. Um, But they didn't have the confidence as to how to help their franchisees. Um, And I think because I've always had an interest in mental health anyway, and I saw this need for support because there wasn't anyone out there for franchising anyway um I retrained so um the business is nearly three years old I think incredible Um, yeah and so it's got to a point now when that's that's my main thing so um went on maternity leave in March when I had Ivy thought I was going to have two or three weeks off as a bit of a break and then she came the next day (laughs) Um, (laughs) and then yeah came back after after about four months Incredible, absolutely incredible. And, you know, I think you you are making massive waves from raising the awareness within the franchising world for franchisors, for their employees, for the franchisees and their staff. And it's just, it's almost snowballing. And and I think it's been quite a hard snowball to push up the mountain, but it now is almost momentum that it's just people know you go to Cinder because Jen will help you to implement that wellbeing policy and get your training. And you train with the Mental Health First Aid England. So it is the only, am I right in saying the only accredited Mental Health First Aid training course that's out there? So yeah, it's the only one that's recognised by the Department of Health. That's the um, one. Yeah, yeah. And the reason I wanted to do the Mental Health First Aid England one is because the content changes all the time. So hard for the instructors because you're always having to learn something new. But for people who are doing the course, that's, you know, the best thing. So it's coming from the best stats. It's grounded in research, all of the training that they do. Um, so for me, the whole thing about doing this training is that it's not a tick box exercise. So, you know, like you said, Liv, it's a really it's become a really popular topic. And a lot of people will say, oh, yeah, that's a real buzzword now. And it really grates on me because it is. But it's not just it's not a fashionable thing, you know, like mental health training isn't a nice to have, even if you're not coming at it from a moral aspect, it's going to help your business. It's going to help you. It's going to help your family, your friends, your business, the people around you. It's it's incredibly powerful. And I I think that everybody should be trained in it. I feel like it should almost be a benchmark that everybody is trained in it. Certainly an awareness level. Just yeah. like really, we should all equip ourselves with first aid training. Just the- even at a basic level. So I think I shared after uh, Ewib that you spoke out and were amazing at Jane. Um, I spoke about my kind of mission, my dream at the moment is to ensure that every single franchisee that comes into the industry receives a basic level of training. Because I know from having worked in it for over 10 years and being with the BFA in the pandemic that every single franchisee, no matter your background, is going to go on some sort of up and down journey with their mental health. Because you can't not, you're taking on a massive new thing and it is a massive leap of faith. Even if you have already been self-employed, it is something new. And so you're going to have those periods of, of doubt and confidence crisis but you're going to have the massive highs as well and so I think if they're given those tools and the the knowledge around it to cope with those fluctuations their health and their business is going to be so much better 
which is going to mean their brand overall is so much better. But so I, I hope that that is, I want that to become the kind of the base level. And and I'm sure that it will be. I mean, ultimately, I think that, you know, mental health, you, you're more likely in a workplace to come across someone who suffers with mental ill health or a mental condition or whatever than any than them tripping and falling but you've all got to have like first aid and risk assessments it makes no sense so I do think there's a, ma- there's a massive shift to come I absolutely want to be the one of the pioneering brands that is pushing for that you know I am like I just 100% at every level it, it's critically important what I suppose we need I feel like we could do part two and part three of yeah. this podcast Will you come back? Because I feel like there's, it's such a valid to talk about. And I, I don't feel like we've even really touched the surface of Cinder. We haven't mentioned your podcast. What, what's your podcast called? <laughs> so mine is the Business Mum podcast. So um, it was started because when I was uh, on my maternity leave and even before then, one of the things that was a almost a barrier to me starting uh, my own business was the fact that I knew I wanted to be a mum um, and I knew that when you're employed you get statutory maternity and you can be off for a year and you know all of that and it seemed stable and it seemed good and I hear so many people particularly in like children's activities it's it's predominantly women um, that do it they say oh yeah I'll do it once I've had my children but the reality is once you've had your child your life is nuts like with <laughs> Ivy it's pure chaos like it's amazing it's amazing pure chaos but if I hadn't done this before I I could bet a lot on it that I wouldn't now choose to be self-employed because there's just always so much to do but actually it is so doable and me being self-employed has been amazing for these first few months with Ivy you know if she's poorly if I'm poorly I've got the freedom to to be there with her or if I want to do something with her I can and it's amazing. You don't have to ask anybody. It's living life on your terms, but yeah. you've got to structure that really carefully. And I know that I've recently been interviewed on your podcast with the wonderful Claire yeah. O'Connor, um, who we're also interviewing for our podcast as well, separately. Um, so, you know, it's been, it's amazing that you're bringing to the forefront being a business owner and a new mum and having those conversations. So I would yeah. highly encourage people to, to, to listen to your podcast. Before we and, I, and there's just so much we could talk about. But then, I, I haven't asked as you any of your questions, but what would you go back and tell your younger self? You, you're 30 now, and you've got so many years of wisdom. What would you go back and tell your younger self? So when I was at uni, we did this module called uh, Personal Development Plan, and at the time, I thought it was an absolute load of faff and a waste of time. And oh my god, looking back on it now, it was so insightful, and it, I think every student sick form school uni whatever should do it because it was all about what do you want to get from life and going back to your thing of the route with mental health live I think it's the same like that should come before what do you want to do as a job because if you want to be someone who has the flexibility who like so for me every sing we did in this personal development plan we did loads of different like kind of personality tests and that kind of stuff and talking about what is important to you as your core as your value because that's a thing that's not really going to change um and for me time and time again and it still does because I really do them out of interest it comes out as wanting that freedom that flexibility and to make a difference now I would say those root things of what I want I've now built my career around those my personal root values so I think for anybody or for myself, the the thing I would tell myself is stop being such a nagger about it, doing that module, because actually look at the value in it, because I think that's so important to work out before you work out what you want to do as a career, what do you want your life to look like? And then get your career. Yeah, do that first. And then find a career that suits that because ultimately you could do a career that sounds amazing, but if that's not going to match your root core values and what you want from life, you're always going to be searching for something else. There's going to you be are you're always going to be in juxtaposition, aren't yeah. you? You really yeah. are. Who is a a teacher or mentor that has inspired you as to where you are today? I know you touched touched on the the guy at university who was great at marketing and throwing the chocolates. I'll always remember that. But is there anyone else that that 
warrants a shout out of who's inspired you. I would say so. So um, someone who I met in my first ever career in franchising is Maria Hartnell. So for a lot of franchise people, they will they will know who she is. Um, she doesn't work in franchising actually anymore. Um, but she kind of brought me into that industry and showed me how amazing it is. And I think she is someone who, so it's not at school, but it's in my early days of working. And she really taught me about just being yourself and how powerful that is and I know that sounds so obvious but she would come into a meeting and she would just be so herself there was no difference um at all the only difference is she had a Bristolian accent and sometimes when she wanted uh to speak to someone new she ended up putting on this Oxford accent and when she got off the phone I'd be like who are you talking to who is that um but she she really showed me about just being herself and about how in business you can be really kind you can be nice that doesn't mean you're a pushover doesn't mean you'll take anything but you can be kind you can be nice and that is really that is just as powerful as being an ass <laughs> it's more powerful <laughs> more powerful I would say more powerful I would absolutely say as we bring the podcast to an end I always say obviously if people want to get in touch with you you're very active on LinkedIn Jen Chapman Boffin Cinder Limited is your company I know you have a website and we'll put all the links and to the to your podcast and everything in our show notes as well so hopefully people can find um the Business Mum podcast and listen to you further and interviews that you've done um but we always finish the school run with a memory. And I know that Ivy is way too young to be going to school yet. She's just a baby, but it will come before you know it, Jen, in a blink of an eye. Um, but what's the school run memory that you'd like to share with us today? School run memory is probably, <laughs> probably always being late. So it's not necessarily a positive one, but my mum is always late to everything. Uh, So I now hate being late. I absolutely hate it. I try and avoid it at all costs. Um, So it's probably that, I think, but also singing in the car. So I am not going to give a demo like you have before, Jane, because I'm not very good, but I love it. I think it's a it's a great thing to do. So probably sing along in the car with my mum. Oh, and I'm sure you'll emulate those memories with Ivy as well as you'll sing your nursery rhymes and times tables and pop songs. Yeah, do you know what? She already gets it. So there's no there's no Disney. Well, no, there is Disney songs, but there's no lullabies in our car. It's sort of Arctic Monkeys or Taylor Swift is what Ivy gets. (laughs) (laughs) That's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant memory to, to, to finish on. And thank you so much for joining us on the school run. Thanks for having me. It's so nice to get to chat with you both. You too. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the School Run Podcast. We absolutely love doing the podcast. Podcasts are free to listen to, but if you'd like to buy us a virtual coffee, we'd be really, really grateful. You just need to go to www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash the school run. That's buymeacoffee.com forward slash the school run. You can also follow us on Instagram at the school run underscore official or TikTok with the same name at schoolrun underscore official and we always really appreciate your reviews and feedback on the platform that you're listening to you can review our podcast and give us a star rating we'd love to have your comments and receive your feedback thank you so much for being a massive support of our journey